Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Everybody doing good so far today? Little, little, today, if anybody has good hair today, we're just bitter at you because of uh, how windy it is. So today's the day you don't have extra hairspray today doesn't even matter today. So I hope, I hope that today has been good. I hope that your fence has stayed up. I know you guys had a tree fall down. That would look pretty fun on Facebook. Uh, and I, I hope everybody else is doing well. A uh, couple things as we get started in, we're, we're actually on our last uh, message in our series called Elements. But before we dive in, wanted to remind you there's a couple great connection opportunities over the next, actually today and over the next week. Today we have our Intro to City Walk luncheon. So if you're new to City Walk, or maybe you've been around a little while, but man, you haven't taken a step to get connected, and you're saying, hey, man, I, I want to take a step. I want to find out more. I want to ask some questions. 15 minutes after the service today over in the fellowship hall, uh, we'll have lunch. We'll have child care. So even if it's like, I don't really care about learning about the church, but I'll take some free lunch and somebody watch my kids for an extra 30 minutes. Just come on over and uh, we have intro to City Walk. And then another thing this week that uh, I'm excited about is we start back into small groups. And so our city groups take a couple weeks off between terms. And so this is the week that we jump right back in. And so if you've been kind of kind of on the fence about joining a group, can I just politely push you over the fence and say, hey, go onto the website, join a group. It's, uh, it's something that I promise you won't regret after you do it. Uh, it's a great opportunity. And honestly, the best opportunity our church has for you to get connected. And so join a group and then you can thank me later because you're going to be so thankful that you did. So is anybody excited about, uh, I know we got some teenagers here. I know we got some teachers here. So another thing that's coming up over the next few weeks is spring break. So you guys excited about spring break? Okay, we got a few teenagers that are excited about spring break. Well, you got spring break, and then we, we have Easter, and I know spring break for different schools is over the next couple weeks. But then, before we know it, the end of the year will be here, and it, it seems to just kind of continue to go fast, and so this year's kind of flown by. And I remember when I was a teenager in school, man, I lived for the summer, and I, you could look at my grades and tell that I lived for the summer. Uh, I was one of those kids in class that... Uh, I, I, I knew how to get by and I knew enough to like ha- had enough kind of smarts and knew how to do it to, to make the grade to be able to play the sports I wanted to play and do that. But I, I, I so I was able to skate by pretty much except for there was one class that uh, I wasn't able to skate by and that was in algebra. And so every other class I could, you know, turn in enough work, study just enough for the test and do well. But algebra wasn't that class. That was the one class that really kicked my backside. 
And to the point where I got to my very senior, my senior year, and my math teacher told me, hey, Chris, I can't wait to see you again next year because you're not going to graduate because of your math grades. And she said, you have one opportunity to graduate, and that's for you as a 12th grader to go to an eighth grade algebra class and do that for a half a semester, and you have to pass it. And so, as you can imagine, that was a wake-up call for me. And so, you know, senior Chris, 17, 18-year-old, was in algebra class with a bunch of eighth graders or very smart seventh graders. And I just did that, humbled myself, like, I want to get out of school, so I'm going to do this. And you know how this kind of thing goes, and this is how it went for me. When, when you are under some pressure, and when you know there's some consequences, things seem to change. And that's what happened for me. My attitude changed a lot about algebra. My focus, it changed. I, I worked harder. I learned more. I studied more. I applied myself at a level I hadn't applied myself. And I remember walking into my class one of the last few days of school, and this is how close it was for me. So even though I was in eighth grade algebra as a senior, I still skated by. I literally went in a couple days before school was out to find out what I made on one test to find out if I passed because what I made on that one test was going to determine if I passed the class. It was, it was that close. And, and, and I ended up obviously passing, but you, you, you still don't want to call me and have me tutor your kid in algebra. But I got through. Uh, but, but I learned something that you've learned, and you've had this probably same thing happen in different areas of your life, whether it was in school or in another area. We, we can all relate with when things get tough, when a challenge comes, our level of focus seems to change. We, we, we seem to lean in a little bit more. We seem to pay attention a little bit more. And, and we seem to, to make progress maybe faster than we would have when, when things are tough. And, and do we wish that we had the same level of focus when things were easy? Do we wish that we studied just as hard when everything was going good? Of course. But there's something about tough circumstances and challenges that bring about a level of focus and growth that usually just doesn't happen when things are easy and when everything's going well. And this happens in our relationship with God as well. And you know this. When tough circumstances happen, and we've all had them, if you're a follower of Jesus, then there have been seasons of your life that have been easier than others, but you probably can point back to some seasons in your life, and this has nothing to do with being a follower or not a follower, but you can point back to some seasons in your life that you would have traded in in a moment if you could have. You didn't ask for them, you didn't want them, but they came into your life. And it seems like when, when those tough times come, specifically in this area of faith, when our circumstances get tough, it pushes God to the forefront. We seem to pray more dependent on God. We seem to, all the arguments we had about God and, and why we don't want to follow God, they kind of go out the window when things get tough. 
The the clutter kind of clears, and we have a different focus on God than maybe we did before that circumstance. C.S. Lewis, the guy that's known for the Chronicles of Narnia, and, and he wrote a lot of other things besides that, but he said it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf generation. And maybe you're here, and and as you hear that, you push back a little bit. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And and you kind of push back on this idea, and you push back and think, man, maybe this is Christianity's way of kind of managing God's reputation and managing his image so that, so that man, we don't make our God look too mean because we, we, try to, we, we don't put all these horrible circumstances on him. And so, man, maybe this is what Christians do to kind of help their God's reputation. And maybe you push back. A little bit to to think that man when when tough circumstances happen that we would actually take steps closer to God maybe you say no I don't I don't buy that I don't buy that but but here's the thing see we we see this in other areas of life and we don't question it at all but when we start to talk about tough circumstances even tragic circumstances in life that God might have had something to do with and he might have used in certain ways, we, we seem to question him, and, and, and I get it. But, but we don't do that in other areas of life. Like if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a soldier, if you're a coach, you allow and even create tough circumstances for people to help them grow. If you're a coach, you do that probably every practice you lead. If you're in the, in the Air Force or the Marines, the Army, Navy, the soldiers, they, they create tough circumstances on purpose so that those soldiers will grow in different areas and be more prepared. If you're a parent, you do the same thing. You, you create and allow some tough circumstances around your child because you want them to grow. And we don't question that, but sometimes when we see things that are out of our control, we, we begin to question, like, God, why would you do that? And it's, man, that's a great question. And like the other elements that we've talked about, one of the elements that God seems to use to help us grow in our faith is these, these pivotal circumstances that come into our life. And, and some of them are good. We have some good circumstances that we, we point back to and think, hey, when that happened or when that happened, that really helped me in my relationship with God. But, but a lot of those circumstances aren't. They're not circumstances that we would have ever asked for. But when we point back to them, we, we look back at them and we say, hey, when that happened or when this thing came into my life, man, I, I wouldn't have asked for it. I would have actually traded it in pretty quick if I was allowed to. But now that I look back, God seemed to use that circumstance in my life to grow me and my faith. See, we, we, it's interesting that if you were to listen to, and, and maybe you could think about people in your life that you would say have a strong faith, you probably, if you were to look at their story, you could look at some pivotal circumstances that God has leveraged in their life 
that are really foundational to how strong their faith is. And one of the places that this is clearly talked about is in a letter that James wrote. James was Jesus' brother, and he wrote a letter to some Jewish believers that were persecuted, and they were scattered all they were scattered all throughout the world, and, and he was writing to them as they're being persecuted for their faith, and, and life isn't going great for all of them. And, and here's what James said, who again was Jesus' brother. He said this, he said, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. He says, I want you to consider or evaluate it with great joy. And we wish he wouldn't have said this word. We, we, we don't want him to use the word whenever. We, we wish he would have said if. Like if you happen to once or twice in your life have a tough circumstance. But, but James, he says, no, no, no. Whenever, like, like it's going to happen. There's going to be some circumstances in your life that are going to be trials. They're going to be tougher. And so I want you to consider those circumstances with joy. And, and some of these trials are big things, like life-changing things. And, and you've experienced some of them. It's the loss of someone you love. It's the, hey, I found out this from the doctor. I wasn't expecting this. And then some of these trials are just some of the small things that happen in life that, that are just tough to walk through. Or that, man, the, the, the car went out. The tree fell down in my, my yard, just some trials that, man, they, they could push you to be upset at God, or they could push you to grow. This past week, and we laugh at it now, but we had one of these in our family. So we're out doing our little family, doing a little family walk through our neighborhood. So we have a, a million dogs at our house. If you've ever been to our house, uh, not really. We have three. And so we were taking two of them out because one's in heat. So we didn't want to take her out because that could have went bad for us. But, but we took the two out and, and we walked to grandpa's house. And so grandpa's just the next block over and we spent some time with grandpa. And, and then we, you know what, let's, let's walk the dogs back in it. We're talking about a quarter of a mile. And so we start and I have, I have Winston, who's one of our dogs. And then Kate, has Piper. She's our 12-year-old boxer that you don't even need a leash for, but we put her on a leash. And we're just walking home. And then all of a sudden, we're about maybe about 25, 30 yards from Grandpa's house. And this big old dog just comes towards our family. Like, you know, just out of the blue, this dog comes out and starts coming after our dogs. And so Kate has Piper, I have Winston, uh, you know, we're all screaming, the dogs are starting to fight, and, and it, you know, usually when that happens, like, the owner's right there, and they, oh, come here, come here, dog, so it ends pretty quick, but it just seemed to keep going on and on, and, and we're, we're I'm, I'm literally like, hey, here, Lori, take the two leashes, and I'm just kicking the dog, just trying to get the dog away, and Julia is kind of off in the corner, maybe 15 yards away, and she's just kind of watching it. And then all of a sudden, the dog sees Julia, and Julia sees the dog. So Julia turns around and begins to hightail it to Grandpa's house, whose house is probably, you know, 15 yards away. And Grandpa has a ring doorbell camera. And so this is what we saw.
That poor dog was probably just trying to like have fun. It didn't look vicious. But, but my daughter, she was going through a trial. And, and I had to apologize to the owner of this dog because I was upset at that moment. Uh, and I, my daughter was like, my, my little girl was crying. And, and she said, Daddy, you know why I'm crying? I'm like, oh, probably because the dog was chasing us. No, because you yelled at the neighbor, Dad. I'm like, uh, and so I apologize. I asked for forgiveness from the neighbor, but it was, it was a little bit, uh, we laugh now, we'll probably win $10,000 for that video on America's Funniest Video. But, but that's a small thing. But, but you all know, like every single one of us has things in our life that, that we have that come into our life that we didn't ask for that are trials. And James says, hey, whenever that happens, here's what I want you to do. He says this. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith, like the plan for these trials, the purpose for these trials, produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And James was a guy that understood trials. He actually watched his brother Jesus die. He understood what it meant to go through trials. And as he's writing for him, there was this undeniable link between circumstances and growing faith. And it's those moments that you and I, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, it's those moments that we wouldn't choose that become the defining stories of our faith journey. They're stories where we either abandon faith or their stories where we grow in our faith. And one of the most powerful illustrations of this and how God not only allows, but sometimes creates circumstances to help our faith grow is a story in John chapter 11. And, and whether you grew up in church or not, you, you may have heard of this story. It's a story about a guy by the name of Lazarus. And in John chapter 11... It says this, it says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, are really close friends with Jesus. And so the, John, he starts this portion of Scripture just by saying, Hey, Lazarus is sick. And so verse 3 says this, So the sisters, who are great friends with Jesus sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. Like there's no other explanation needed. Jesus, you've healed people, countless people you didn't even know. Now one of your best buddies is sick. And so, hey, we just wanted to let you know. And so Jesus, obviously, they didn't even have to say what they wanted to happen. It would have been obvious. Like you've healed all these other people. Now your best friend, one of your best friends, he's sick. Okay. So it says this in verse four. When Jesus heard it, he said, he's talking to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Guys, the the purpose of this sickness is not death. He's talking to his guys. It's not death, but instead the purpose of this sickness is to bring glory to God. And again, when when you hear that, you may automatically push back a little bit it's like so jesus are are you saying that god would allow sickness 
for the purpose of pointing people to him? I, I don't know if I like that, God. I, I'm not sure about that. And then this next phrase in the, in the narrative is so interesting. It says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, so obviously, if you, if you love these people and you are, have the ability to heal and you've done it many, many times, obviously, if you really love them, you would show up, man. You'd hustle to their house. You just heard your buddy's sick. So you're going to hustle there and take care of it because you can. You have that ability. But that's not what happened. It, 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 verse 6 says this. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. He did exactly what you would not expect him to do. Instead of hustling and like, oh man, my buddy's sick. Let's get up. And we're not talking like, long, long way away. We're talking like, let's, let's get, we can get there quickly. Let's get there and help him. Jesus is like, no, we're going to hang out here for two more days. And, and you, you may be able to, like you, could, you may be able to feel this. And here's what I mean. I guarantee that in your life, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, there's been relational issues. There's been health issues. There's been drama in life. There's been different circumstances that have come up. And, and if you're a person of faith, you, you may have cried out to God. And it's like, God, obviously you don't want this to happen. And so come on, step in. And nothing happens. Like, what, what's going on? And, and you, you understand what it feels like to be sitting in pain or confusion or, or drama or, or things that aren't comfortable and and just and it does nothing seems to be happening no solutions seem to be coming and it's just you're in that spot and, and after two days of Mary and Martha the sisters of Lazarus as after two days of, of waiting agonizing suffering and and watching their brother die two days of that Jesus says this to his guys, let's go to Judea again. Two days is up. He's like, all right, I'm ready to go. And the guys say this. They say, Rabbi, because they don't, they don't know that, that Lazarus has already died. Obviously, Jesus does. They say, Rabbi, the, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again. Basically, what the, his guys say is, Jesus are you sure you want to go there? And, and they're, not, they're not really worried about Lazarus right now. They're, they're worried about, man, last time we went near there, it didn't go well. Like, could we do like a Zoom thing with Lazarus and the family? Could we FaceTime in? I mean, we know you're pretty powerful. We've seen you do some stuff. You don't actually have to be there. And again, they don't, they don't know the end of the story yet. They don't know that Lazarus has not only not sick anymore, that he's actually died. They don't know any of that. And they're just like, hey, they're thinking about their own skin and what happened to them last time. And they're like, uh, we don't want to go back. Can we just do something different? You're pretty good at miracles. And, and, and Jesus, he, he wasn't having it. And instead of arguing with them, if you were to read the next few verses, he just reminds them of the importance of of doing what god wants and accomplishing god's purposes and then in verse 11 
he says this, super interesting. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. So Jesus, he uses this phrase, fallen asleep, to mean he died. Disciples, they, they think he fell asleep. Like Jesus is just telling us that, man, he, he took one of those gummies that make you go to sleep at night, and he's just having a good night's sleep, and Jesus is going to go, and, and, and because he's sleeping, this is good. I mean, that's usually what's good for you when you're sick. So Jesus is going to go and kind of make sure he's okay and wake him up. And so the disciples, they said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to get well. This is exactly what the doctor ordered. Get an apple, get some sleep, drink some orange juice, whatever. You're good, man. And so Jesus, he's like, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Like, guys, I've obviously confused you. Uh, and so let me just put it to you as bluntly as I can. Uh, Lazarus isn't alive anymore. Uh, when I said sleep, I meant he died. And immediately these guys would have thought, what? what? So Jesus, we've watched you heal hundreds of people. Jesus, we've watched people that you didn't even know touch you. And because they touched you, they were healed. And you're telling me that one of your best friends who you knew was sick several days ago is dead? What, what do you what, why did we wait two days? And this, man, this would have been very confusing. And then Jesus said something extremely shocking. He says this, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. What? so that you may believe, but let's go to him. What are you talking about, Jesus? Yeah, G G no, he's, he's not asleep. No, he's dead. Jesus, you're telling me your, your best friend, one of the guys that you, man, your guy, one of your guys, you, you let him die? We know you didn't have to do that. Why would you do that? I did it so that you would grow in your confidence in me. I did it so you would trust me more. I did it so that you would believe. Jesus is saying, man, what I am doing is so big. I am willing to allow confusion. I'm willing to allow heartbreak. I'm willing to allow misunderstanding. I'm willing to allow all these things because I'm doing something so big. And, and this is where all of us live sometimes. We, we all live in that spot where, God, I am confused. God, I'm, I'm hurt. I don't understand. I know you could have changed this. Why aren't you? Why didn't you? And, 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 and then we, we hear things like, God, you, you really want us to trust you. Like you, you're so, this is so important to you that we trust you that you would be willing to allow or even create tough circumstances. I don't, I don't like that. That bothers me. That doesn't make sense. And as you can imagine, this is exactly how Lazarus' sisters felt. As Jesus is, is coming to town and, and, and they know who Jesus is, he is a close friend. And so when Jesus arrives... 
Martha, she goes to talk to him and says exactly what you and I would have said to him. Says this in verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, you and I both know this didn't need to happen. We, we know this. Yet even now, and I love this, verse 22, yet even now I know, I believe that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's in this moment, and, and maybe you've been here where you're grappling. You're grappling emotionally and intellectually. You're grappling emotionally because, man, this hurts, and I don't like what's happening, and it's confusing. But then intellectually and, and in your faith, you know, no, but I, I trust God, and I believe, and I know he can do something. I know he has purpose for this. But, but then you flip the coin, and man, but it still hurts, and I don't understand, and I'm confused. And that's right where Martha is. And then Jesus says this, hey, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, she gets, gets theological with him. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She kind of gives Jesus the theological. Yes, I know, Jesus. We've talked about this. Yeah, at the end, like, yeah, he's going to rise again. Yeah, heaven, hell. Yeah, I get eternity, but I want him now. And Jesus meant like he's going to rise again. Not, not, not in the future, like he's going to rise again. You're going to see him. In her mind, she's thinking, yeah, oh yeah, down the road, yeah, at the end of time, yeah, he's going to, in the resurrection, yeah, I get that. And then Jesus says something in this moment that separates him from any other person in history. Any other person, any other religious guru, any other, any, any other person, Jesus says something in this moment that no other person can claim. He says this, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, you can go back to the last word, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 26 says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus says, and this is what sets him apart. He says, I am the source of resurrection. I'm not going to show you the path for resurrection. I'm not going to tell you about resurrection. I'm not going to encourage you to do it a certain way. He says, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the source of resurrection. I am God. I am the Messiah. He's making a ton of huge claims right here. Other people over, over the years and throughout history have, have claimed to, man, they, they might have opportunities or have pathways. And Jesus says, I'm not showing you a path. I'm showing you a person. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm the source, the one who believes or trusts in me while he or she is still alive will never truly die. And then he says to Martha, he says, Martha, do you believe? Do you believe this? And she says, in the midst of her confusion, in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her tears, she says, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe 
you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Jesus, I don't always understand why you do what you do. I'm hurting. I'm confused because my brother's dead. But I still trust you. I still believe. And after talking with Martha, her sister Mary comes, comes to talk to Jesus. And, and, and she comes with some other people. And, and, and as, these, as Mary and these other people are coming, it's obvious that they're heartbroken. And so it's in the, the midst of this heartbroken family and in the midst of Jesus interacting with Mary and the other people that were there to support her that he felt compassion for them. He, he felt their pain. And, and, and he knew what he was going to do. Like he knew the end of the story. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was going to bring their brother back to life. But he was still overwhelmed by the brokenness of his friends and this situation. And the, and the writer of this narrative says it this way in, in one of the shortest verses in the entire Bible. He says, Jesus wept. The Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is all-powerful, who knows the beginning from the end, who knew exactly what was going to happen just a few minutes later, he felt, he cried, he hurt, he empathized with these people. And then the, the Jews, as they see him, they see Jesus just, just weeping with them. And, and, and they're, they're, they say this, uh, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Like, he loved it. Why didn't he come? Like, it's obvious he loved him. I mean, look at Jesus. He's, he's weeping. He's broken. We, we know he could have done. Why wouldn't he come? I mean, it's obvious he loved this guy. And then Jesus, in this moment, after he's cried with them and he's felt empathy and compassion, he says to them, hey, where, where's, where's, the, where's he at? Where's his body? You know, they show him where. And he says, hey, I want you to move the stone away from the mouth of the grave. And Martha, kind of being the pragmatic one, she says, man, are you sure? I mean, your boy's been in there a few days, and, and he don't smell too good at this point. Are, are you sure, Jesus? I just, I just want to make sure you know that this, is, this may not you know, smell nice. Jesus is like, come on, I get it. Move, move the thing, move the stone. And once they remove the stone, if you read through this passage, it says that Jesus prayed to God, and here's what he prayed. He prayed that the belief of the people there that were about to see what he was going to do, that their trust would grow based on what was about to happen. So he says, hey, get, move that stone. Get, get, get the stone out of the way. Jesus, you know, he smelled. Just get the stone out of the way. God, we know what's about to happen. Would you help these people that are about to see what happens? Would you help them leave here trusting you more, believing you more? And then once he prays, he just, he just says, hey, Lazarus, get up. Hey, Lazarus, come out. And, and it says, that's what Lazarus did. Lazarus got up. 
He came out of the grave. They, he, they have him wrapped up. They had to unwrap him. Let's go eat. Lazarus is alive. I mean, Lazarus, it wasn't like super complicated. Jesus didn't have like a potion or have to say a special thing. It just, hey, Lazarus, buddy, Jesus here. Hey, come on out. He come out. He came out. Three or four days after being in the grave, Lazarus comes out. And then after all these, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, feeding the 5,000, that's pretty impressive. Walking on water, that's pretty impressive. But I'm seeing my friend Lazarus walk out of a grave after he's been dead for three or four days. This is mind-blowing. And it says this in verse 45, as, as people were seeing this, the people that were around this, it says this, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did, believed in him. It says many of the Jews who came, those people that were around, these people that had, they all knew who Jesus was. They, most of them may probably had heard Jesus teach at some point. So the, Jesus wasn't like this new guy they'd never heard of. They, they had heard Jesus' claims. They, they had maybe even seen some of his miracles. They were familiar with Jesus, most of them, if not all of them. But yet, to this point, they had not believed that Jesus was more than maybe a good guy or somebody that did some great miracles or that man had a different way of loving. They, they had not stepped over the line of faith. And, and it says, after they saw this, that many of them believed. They trusted. They leaned in. See, Jesus created a circumstance that would grow their faith and impact their eternity. He, he didn't even just allow this one. I mean, there's certain things in life, like God allows certain things, and he used, like on purpose, Jesus didn't show up for a few days to create a tragic circumstance for the purpose of God's glory and these people and his disciples believing and having greater confidence in him and in God. And, and he does the same thing today. He, he allows or even creates circumstances in our life for the purpose of growing our faith or our confidence in him. And, and, and do you know what the deciding factor is? It's, this will surprise you. You know what the deciding factor is on whether a circumstance helps you grow in your faith or moves you to abandon your faith. It may, be, it may not be what you think. What the, the defining thing that, that determines kind of which way you go when you're in the midst of one of these pivotal circumstances is not the circumstance itself. In fact, your circumstances do not impact your faith. You're like, Chris, haven't you been like this whole message telling us that God uses circumstances to grow our faith? And now you're saying your circumstances don't impact your faith? Yes. And here's, here's what I mean. You'll understand in the next phrase. Your interpretation of your circumstances impacts your faith. Not the circumstances themselves. It's how you interpret them. It's the lens that you see them through. For, for example, if you see tough circumstances through the lens of distant, angry God, there's 
certain way you're going to handle those circumstances. If you, if you see tough circumstances through this distant, angry God lens that says, man, how could a good God allow or even create circumstances that might cause me pain or discomfort? If you look at circumstances through this lens of distant, angry God, and it's and it kind of with this, this mindset of, man, God is out to make my life miserable, and he's just getting me back for all my imperfections. If this is the lens that you see your circumstances through, and, and some of us do, and I'm not, I'm not putting you down for that. I'm just saying this is a lens that people see circumstances through. When a tough time comes, some people see it through the lens of, oh, this is, see, I knew God, I knew God was just a mean guy. He's up there. He's just making my life miserable. Yeah, I get it, God. I got a past, and now you're finally getting me back for it. That, that's one of the lenses. And if that's the lens we see our circumstances through, then, then man, our faith is probably not going to grow a lot. But, but then there's another lens, and there's, there's a few, but, but the two I wanted to talk about, there's another lens, and, and that's the lens of a loving, personal God. God, I, I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust that you love me, that you are with me, and that you are working out these circumstances for my good and your glory. And when we trust God, when we're trusting God this way, it isn't saying it, it isn't painful or that I'm not disappointed. No, no, actually, pain is not an argument against God, but a reminder we need God. A God who suffered to redeem suffering. I'm not saying, man, even if you look through at your circumstances through the lens of, of a loving, personal God, it doesn't mean you have to pretend like, like, oh, no, this is really good, and, and like sugarcoat really bad things. No, there's things in life that really hurt and that are really confusing and that we don't always understand and we wish would change and we have questions about and we're disappointed. Yeah, all that's true. But in the midst of our disappointment... We can be very disappointed, hurt, and even not totally understand and still trust God and not have all the answers. Philip Yancey, he said it this way. He says, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. See, all of us, and just like I do, you have a story. And it's probably not exactly like Lazarus. If you're watching online, you're, you probably don't have a story similar to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But every single one of us has a story. We, we have a story of how there's been seasons of our life where our hope has been shattered. Where we have man, been dealt some circumstances that we didn't choose that hurt deeply, that disappointed us greatly. Yet, yet we all have stories like that. And we know this, we can pretend, but we, but we know that, man, pain and suffering aren't exceptions to the rule. Like every life is going to experience some tough seasons and some tough times, and there's going to be some discomfort and some pain and some things that we don't necessarily like. Like we, we all know that. 
But here's what we got to keep in mind. And this is, this is such a good truth. When you feel like God is doing something to you, you abandon faith. When you feel like God is doing something in you, your faith grows. It, it all comes back to how we interpret things and how we are perspective. If your perspective is, God, you are, you're doing this too. It's like the principle, man. It's like, man, I'm, I'm getting my licks because of what I did. Then, man, I can see how you want, would want to abandon faith. Like, why would you want that kind of faith? Like, if there's this mean, angry God that's up there that's just kind of looking for me to mess up, and when I mess up, man, he's going to just zap me and make my life miserable or hurt people I love deeply. Man, if, if, if I'm looking at things as like, this is God doing things to me, an angry God doing things to get me. I get it, man. I, I would want to abandon faith too. But if this is, no, you know what? This is a loving, personal God that, man, is doing something, and his purpose is to do something in me, then my faith can grow. And so if you're here or you're watching online, and I know, because I, I know some of your stories, and I know some of you that are watching online, I know some of your stories, and I know that there are people among us that are in the middle of some of those pivotal circumstances. They're in the middle of some of those circumstances that, man, if they could trade them in tomorrow, they would. And you have some people in your family that if you could trade their circumstances, like if, if you could make it all go away, you would. You would spend money. You'd do whatever you had to do to, to make the pain or the discomfort or the confusion go away. There, there's some of us that are in the midst of these pivotal circumstances. And so if you are, or maybe you will be, or you have been, here's, here's a couple things I want you to think about. Would you be willing, if you're in the midst of these circumstances, would you be willing to pray, God, I need to see you in this. God, I, I don't understand this. If it was me, God, I, I wouldn't allow, have allowed my brother to die. If it was me, Jesus, I, I would have had you shown up as soon as you got the news. I, I don't totally understand this, but, but as I'm going through this, God, I, my prayer is that you would help me see you in this. Help me see your purpose in this. That doesn't mean that I'm always going to love it or I'm always going to agree with it, but God, help me to see you in this pivotal circumstance. Would you be willing to pray? Would you just be willing in the midst of those circumstances to pray? And then the second thing, would you be willing to connect? And here's what I mean by that. God may want to use his work in others to encourage you and give you hope. There's some people, maybe even around you, that have gone through something similar to what you're actually going through. And God's put them in your life so that you could connect with them 
so that, man, the things that they learned and how their faith grew could actually give you hope and help you with your perspective. But, but sometimes when we're in the midst of these tough circumstances, we, we try to isolate ourselves. Maybe we're embarrassed for certain reasons. And God says, man, I, w- would you pray? Would you trust me? Would you ask me to, to help you see me through this? And then would you connect? Would you not go out on an island, but would you connect with other people? Because there's other people that will help you, that will give you hope, that will help you gain perspective that will be there for you in the midst of the tough times. And here's what's really cool. Just as God leveraged the darkest moment in history for the world to know that God loves them, that God is for them, that God wants to have a relationship with them, just as he used the darkest moment in history to do that. And we're going to talk about that next weekend. He wants to leverage the circumstances that you're going through to help you know that he loves you, to help you trust him more, and to bring light and glory to him. And it doesn't mean that you have to, that we have to like, oh, okay, well, that's good. Then it's not bad anymore. It doesn't mean that. It means we, we're going to see it through a lens of a loving, personal God who is, loves me so much that he would allow or even create the circumstance because he knows this circumstance will help me grow in my relationship with him. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online or you're here this morning in person. Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. And you may be somebody that at some point in your life, you've, you've become a follower of Jesus. You have believed the gospel that Jesus died and rose from the grave for you, and you've started a relationship with him. Maybe that's you. And maybe you're in the middle of a tough circumstance, or you're, you're, you have someone close to you that's in the middle of a tough circumstance, which sometimes is harder. And you have questions. And maybe you, if you're honest, you're like, I've I've questioned God on this whole thing. Well, if that's you, God's not intimidated. He's not offended by your questions. In fact, he he wants you to lean in. And, and, And here's what I'll tell you. You may never have every question answered. But here's what we know, that he will walk with you and he will do something in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of this disappointment, in the midst of this confusion that will take it and grow your faith in him. Doesn't always mean it's going to be easy, but we know that he has purpose for it. And so we can go to him and say, God, help me to see you in this circumstance. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe this is the very reason that you haven't ever followed Jesus, because you could not get, like you couldn't find the answer to how bad things could happen to people that didn't seem to deserve it. And so for you, you just couldn't get past that. And so you just kind of straight-armed God for a while. 
Well, in the midst of your questions, would you consider Jesus? In the midst of your questions, would you consider, did Jesus walk the earth? Did Jesus really die? And did Jesus really rise from the dead? And if you are sure of that, then you can follow him even before you have all your questions answered. Would you consider Jesus? You say, Chris, I never thought of that. I thought I kind of had to have all my questions answered. And No, you don't. You don't have to have all your questions answered before you can start a relationship with Jesus. You say, how would I do that? With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online, you just, just tell God. Tell Him, God, I, I admit to you that I have done things my way. Just tell Him right now in your heart. God, I've, I've sinned. I've disobeyed you. I've, I've kind of tried to do things my way. I believe that Jesus died and that He rose from the grave for me. And then just ask, God, would you come into my life? I want a relationship with you. Would you transform me now? If you're here this morning or you're watching online and, and you have questions or you made a decision to follow Jesus, man, I'd encourage you to take that decision card right in front of you, fill that out and just drop it in the offering basket on your way out and we'll, we'll call you or text you, just follow up with you, make sure... You understand your decision. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and fill out a card there. Man, we, we want to walk with you into a growing relationship with Jesus. And sometimes that means linking arms with each other as we go through pivotal circumstances that we don't have all the answers for. And that's the beauty of Jesus and it's the beauty of the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that we can bring our questions to you, that we can bring our disappointment to you, that we can bring our confusion to you, and that you don't straight arm us or tell us to get our stuff together and then come back. You call us up onto your lap and hug us as your children. You weep with us. You have compassion. And you have provided a way for us to have a relationship with you that will one day lead to a day where there is no pain, there is no sickness, there is no confusion, there is no death because of what we celebrate next Sunday, your resurrection, because you are the resurrection and the life. And we thank you. Amen.